We are in part 18, the last part. We're wrapping up the entire series in the book of 1 Timothy that we entitled Called by God. And Paul ends in a way that is rather unusual. Remember, Timothy is his protege. Timothy is his buddy. Timothy is the young guy that was the apprentice that came up and took over the church at Ephesus. And you would assume that it gets super personal. And at the end, it's a little bit personal. But he ends in a very unusual fashion. In order to get us into that concept, I want to just say I entitled today's message, Rightly Rich. And we're going to be talking about money. We're going to be talking about money the entire service. And, and I know that there's some messages that we provide here at Bridgeway that are more preaching, right? Preaching is kind of that where we get into the groove, right? And it's a little bit more emotional and inspirational and, and, and kind of that more power, kind of. And then there's sermons that are more teaching, which kind of, you know, I'm going line by line and kind of tearing things apart and helping us understand each perspective. But then there's sermons that are conversational. That's where it just seems like we're just talking. We're talking about a subject. Uh, some of us are encouraged. Some of us are convicted. Some of us are completely lost. Some of us, we're all over the place, right? But we're just talking about an issue. That's how I want this morning to be. I just want to talk about an issue and give a more balanced perspective on what God may say about the issue of money. And I want to begin by talking about a rather lame movie that came out in 2011. <clears throat> the first mistake, I think, was the fact that it starred Justin Timberlake, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. He's actually hilarious on SNL, but... But he was, this movie, he's good, the movie fell flat, the concept was brilliant, at least in my opinion. How many of you are science fiction fans? Raise your hand. There should, all right, there should be six of us, praise the Lord, okay. Good, all right. No, actually it seemed like there was quite a few of us today. Uh, in this movie, and if you're not a science fiction person, this is a beautiful time to nap. This is, this is a time when you just check out and you doodle and write something else, write a note to your friend. But, but for the rest of it, the science fiction concept is that in the distant future, right? It's always the future. In the future, uh, human beings are genetically engineered to live only till 25 years old, right? So that's right off the bat, eliminates almost all of us. Praise the Lord. Uh, and at that moment, it, a clock starts and you have one year to live. So the point is to live till 26. Now, on that clock of your body, you can buy and sell time that you live on. So if, let's say, for example, you were wealthy, you could buy up all the time you wanted and live over 100 because you have the money to buy it, but you're taking it from someone else. Now, of course, this is the underlying kind of commentary on society about how the rich have all the ability of the health care and the ability to keep themselves much more healthy while the poor die early. Do you understand? It's kind of a deeper concept, which I think is uh, pretty incredible. But in this movie, it was the idea that, let's say you are a drug addict. Well, what would happen is you would sell your life and shorten your lifespan to purchase the drugs. I keep pointing to my arm because that's how they counted it. You're like, what are you doing? You have a rash? No. <laughs> it was in the movie. You didn't see the movie. Okay. 
put my hands back here. And I think this is where all us non-science fiction people go, ah, that's a stupid concept. What in the, really, you're spending your time and shortening your life to buy stuff. We're doing it every day. We do it for money. Because here's the deal. You could be with your kids. You were at work. Why? You just spent, instead of cutting your life short on the other side, you just chopped it right out of the middle. You could have been doing a million other things with your time that could have been more enriching but you went to work why to trade for money so we're all spending and buying up money by which we can buy things now a lot of those things are incredibly necessary to continue that life i understand that i'm not against work you know i believe in a very high work ethic however what's intriguing is what we're willing to trade of our lives to get wealthy We've already talked about the negative side of it. A couple weeks ago, Paul addressed, man, there are some false teachers that are in this stuff for the wrong reason. And woe to us who are trying and loving money so much, we're trying to get rich, and we're falling into all these bad traps. We've talked about the dark side of money already, but Paul is very practical. He said, y'all realize it's not all negative. As a matter of fact, there's a whole positive side. There's a huge bright side to it. And that's what we're going to camp on today. Because he needs us to look at it both ways, right? So that we have a well-rounded perspective on how God thinks of money. You all realize Jesus talked more about money than he did about heaven, right? Which is intriguing. Why? Because we're already trading our life for it now. So it has a big effect on who we are. Well, I need us to know right off the get-go, it is not a sin to be rich. It is not a sin to be rich. As a matter of fact, God has called and equipped many believers with the ability to create wealth. If you are one of those people, you may not know it as a gift. As a matter of fact, if you have an extreme gift, it doesn't feel unusual at all. It just feels normal. So you're just doing what you do, and you tend to have a good harvest for it. But that's the case with all gifts. When I come up here and I talk to you and I prepare for sermons and I design out things, this is not unusual to me. This is normal. As a matter of fact, I love studying. Things happen to come to me a little bit easier. And so as I'm talking and doing public speaking, to me, this is very normal. But I think some of you, this is not normal. So you would go, no, I think that's a gift, right? That's how I feel about people that know how to do math. Okay? If you're an engineer, I don't understand you. Okay? We are not the same. <laughs> All right? So, the most important thing that I think that we need to be aware of is that God gave wealth to us for a purpose. Why? The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you, it's this. God's kingdom is funded by God's people. Through God's provision. God's kingdom is funded by God's people through God's provision. Remember, Christianity does not call for poverty. Christianity calls for simplicity and generosity. There's nothing wrong with wealth as long as it doesn't have a hold on us. 
So wealth is not the problem. The heart's the problem. Yeah? Wealth is a neutral. All right. But some of us have been gifted to work with it. And if we do not, we're in disobedience. It's the same thing with all talents and gifts. The way that I look at our church Uh, Let's say I'm using the metaphor of building the kingdom is like picking up speed. When I was young, I had a chance to be around a couple sailboats, right? Now, I'm not a big sailboat person. If you are, I'm more of a, you know, motor kind of guy. The whole sailboat thing is way too much work. So I'm like, ah, whatever, I'll just turn the key. When I was 12 years old, I got a chance to go to the Sac State Aquatic Center. You all know that on Lake Natoma. And I, was, I had a whole week long where I learned different water activities. So as a little kid, I kind of got dropped off there. And I learned how to do rowing one time and then canoeing another time and then water skiing another time. And then there's, they have little personal one or two people sailboats. And so you go out there and sailing when you have the wind and you're going one direction is awesome. Because you do, you're holding on to it and you're flying across the water. The drag is when you get to the other side and the wind's not going the other direction and it takes you 42 hours to get home. <laughs> I was not cool. And then uh, a buddy that I had, my best friend growing up, his parents owned a sailboat and we learned about real sailing. It's just, it's a lot of work. But what you know very instinctually, sailboats are going nowhere without wind. The way that I feel is that the Holy Spirit breathes and the word for breath and spirit and wind are all the same word. And the Holy Spirit is breathing into the congregation to advance us in the kingdom of God. But only when everyone is using their gifts is our sail fully open. If your sail is not fully open, you will not catch all the wind. You will not go very fast. And here's the problem. A bunch of us are not utilizing our gifts. Another story that kind of had a revelation for me recently. Y'all know the story of the parable of the talents. Okay. Very, very famous story. Basically, it goes like this. There was a wealthy king and he was going to go away. So he grabs three of his servants and he basically gives them different amounts of money and says, hey, By the time I get back, I need you to put this money into work for me and earn me a good return. I'll check in with you when I get back. Y'all know this story? So the first guy invests his money and it makes back this much. And the second guy invests his money, makes back this much. Well, the last guy buries it. Do you remember this? He he goes out in the thing and he's like, man, I don't want to screw this up. I'm just going to bury it. So he buries his amount. So when the the king comes back, everybody presents what they earn. Well, he goes through and he's like, yeah, great job, great job, great job. And then he gets to the last guy. The last guy's here. I'll just give you back what you gave to me. And the king is enraged. Do you remember? The reaction is kind of over the top. And he's like, what is wrong with you? You know, and he's ready to just throw the guy into hell. I mean, he's just super angry. But what's interesting is the the man gives him two reasons. All my life, I only focus on one of the reasons. So one of the reasons is he said, I know that you're a hard man, meaning I know I'm a little nervous. I'm a little scared of you. I've always focused my whole life on the idea of somebody being afraid to mess up so they don't do anything with their gifts. And that was kind of how I always looked at the parable. 
But there's another excuse that he gives. Do you remember the other one? The other one was he said, I know that you are a man that reaps where you do not sow. And you go, what does that mean? Well, I don't know. Just recently I had a little bing light bulb moment, right? Maybe you already knew all this. Here's what he says, where you did not sow. Here's what he means. What do I got to bring to the table? Dude, you make money whether or not I'm working or not. It doesn't matter what I do. My uh, contribution doesn't make a difference. You've never relied on me. You can always do it without me. I know you're the guy that kind of just makes money and you don't need me. I think that's all of us. Because here's our problem. Most of us downplay or downgrade our talents. God, what am I really going to bring to the table? Really? Oh, I'm a good cook. So how exactly is that going to save people? You know what? Oh, I'm good at math. I know how to work on cars. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is those people standing up on stage talking about Jesus. That's garbage. Our sale will never be fully open until everyone is utilizing the gifts and talents and abilities that God has given you. Stop telling him what is useful to him. Because here's the deal. If you are a good cook and you bring a meal to someone that is hurt, sick, or just had a child, they're going to like your meal. Mine's lasagna. It's always going to be lasagna. It's not even great. It's just pretty good. And so I'm going to bring a meal to you and you're going to go, oh, thanks. And then someone else that actually knows how to cook super well, when they bring a meal, you feel like Jesus is in it. Right? Let's say your gift is penmanship. Nobody even writes anymore. Penmanship? What does that mean? It means they can read your writing. Imagine that your gift is writing fancy. All right. When they get a card from you, it's different than when they get a card from someone else. Everything matters. I know it seems so natural to you. I know it doesn't seem like a big deal to you, but you wouldn't have it if God couldn't use it. And in one of those areas is that some of you are not recognizing you have a gift to generate wealth and you've never given the gift to the lord you've given your money to the lord that's different you're not giving your gift to the lord which means working smarter not harder meaning looking strategically as to how to invest or how to build or how to operate it as a ministry because some of you are thinking that's a side thing. That's got nothing to do with Jesus. It's got everything to do with Jesus. Why? Because Jesus could not have done his ministry with his disciples if the ladies that were wealthy hadn't supported the ministry. They strategically utilized their ability to generate wealth to fund the advancement of the kingdom of God. And that allowed Jesus to do what Jesus did. Incredible. That's how the body works. All right. So we need to use our gifts well. I want to talk a little bit about Bridgeway uh, particularly and the wealthy around here. Here's something intriguing about Bridgeway. Um, There's a couple things that are normal to our atmosphere. 
we are a relatively, and I'll, I'll explain this, so don't judge me yet. I'll explain it. We are a relatively middle-class church. We have never been the church of, oh, they're the ones that have all the millionaires in them. They're the ones that have all this stuff. And they're, you know, I don't know what to do with all our money. That's never been us. We have always been, and after 20 years, we've gone through a lot of moves and a lot of drives and a lot of this and then raising money. It's always been all of us together, scooping our money together and handing it to the Lord and letting him multiply it. We now currently sit as we're paying off in a high equity uh, presentation. We are in a place where we are in massive equity on a 50-acre campus with 25 acres of future building land and over 200,000 square feet of just for us, right? That's pretty incredible. We are now landlords of having other tenants be a part of this and helping us build the kingdom of God. Why did we get that? Is that because what? We have millionaires that are doing everything? No. Is that because we're brilliant? No. Is it because of Jesus? Yeah. Why? Because he has taken this church and done extraordinary things. Okay, that's incredible. But here's the other thing. We're not real big on opulence. I think you guys have probably noticed that, right? I mean, our floors are concrete, right? It's just kind of like it's not fancy. We just are who we are. And here's what's interesting. I, because of how you operate with your wealth, I can't tell who's rich and who's not. Literally, everyone kind of looks the same. I mean, it's not like somebody's rolling in and they got this big, huge fur coat and they have these big, massive rings, you know, and it's kind of like, oh, they're different, right? There's not a lot of that here. It's kind of like everybody just kind of comes as they are. But we have some folks here that are very wealthy. They're sitting right next to you and you have no idea. How do I know that? Because I have no idea. And I'm staring at you. Let me, let me give you an example. Last weekend, a member of our congregation with no strings attached wrote a check for $61,500. That's craziness. And what's intriguing about that, now up to this point, I don't know who that is. Right? I'm going to find out who that is. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Because even in our leadership, we do not run around and talk about that stuff. That is in our finance department, and we try to make sure that things are very well confidential and private. We do not try to talk. The only reason I'm bringing it up is because it's part of the sermon. And here's what's interesting about that. I don't even know who that would be. And you kind of say, oh, well, it's obvious that person, if you do percentage-wise what they're giving to the church, you can't do that here. Why? Because people are giving way out of whack with what they actually make. So, for example, you'll have someone that gets an inheritance, they've never had the money before, and they take a big chunk of that that's way more than the 10% a lot of people are operating, boom, and they'll drop it right in the church. I can't even tell where the money would come from because no one's trying to roll large. No one's trying to be a big deal. I have so much joy in that because those of us here that are wealthy do not seem to be saying that's my everything. They're saying Jesus is my everything. And I'm seeing the beauty of all of that. We have folks that can write, not all the time, $10,000 check. We have people that can write $5,000 check. Now, some of us are looking going, man, that's just not me. It doesn't have to be you. 
but does Jesus have your heart and have their heart? It's all kind of the same. All right, so we're going to be talking up this whole idea about we do have wealthy. Here's what I mean by relatively rich. We are relatively rich. We are middle class. You go, come on, pastor, seriously? We are in an upper middle class area. We are. That's what makes us middle class. There's also people sitting next to you that are very concerned about the gas in their gas tank right now of getting home. We all assume our little bubble is how everybody is. It's not true. You always assume that your neighborhood is what surrounds you at church. It is not. We have some folks that are really, really struggling, that are upside down in debt. We have some people that are having a hard time. So we're all mixed in together. I think that's how the church should be, to be honest with you. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But middle class means that we have upper class and we have lower class and they're all combined together and it makes it middle class. But all that is relative, is it not? Compared to the rest of the nation, we are wealthy. Compared to the rest of the world, we're uber wealthy. So please do not allow your bubble to make it sound like that's the rest of the world. It's just not. So we should be going, wow, Jesus, I do feel blessed. I do feel all this gratitude in my heart. Wow, I have a vehicle? That's craziness because not everybody has a vehicle. I have a place to live. Wow, right? This is where our mindset should be. Okay, so what's, here's what's interesting. Um, uh, kind of a funny story. Um, some of you will remember this. So uh, I don't know if it was last year or a couple years ago. Hillsong came into town, right? Hillsong came over to Bayside, and um, which it's so wonderful when Bayside has the opportunity to have in some amazing people throughout the world to come in there. They're such a blessing in our area. And they had Hillsong come in, uh, Hillsong Australia. And uh, Pastor Brian Houston was going to speak to a group of leaders of which I got a chance to be invited to that. And I didn't know really much anything about him. I knew a little bit about Hillsong, right? Now, Hillsong is a church in Australia that is 37,000 people. It's a massive church. If you want to talk about, you know, impact in praise and worship, we do a lot of Hillsong music, right? They kind of impacted the world. And everybody always said, oh, well, they can do all that because they have all these millionaires and they have all that. That's why all this money is flowing through there. So he addressed it. Uh, the funny part about the story is that we were getting ready to all get started. And they said, all right, before we have Pastor Brian come up and share with us this evening, can we all just kind of get to know each other around us? Let's just kind of stand up and all say hi to each other. And so I stood up and I walked up to the first guy I saw, and he had a little bit gray and kind of a thinner guy, uh, about early 60s. And I walked up and I go, hey, I'm Lance. Are you, you know, you live around here? It's nice to meet you. And he goes, hi, I'm Brian. And he had an Australian accent. I was like, oh, that's funny. Oh, you're the guy speaking. That was weird. Um, and then I was realized I was sitting next to his wife at the table. So I'm really not good at the whole, don't let me represent you, is what I'm trying to say. Because I really don't know what in the world I'm doing. I don't even know any of these people. But as he began to speak, he said, and this kind of hurt my heart a little bit at the beginning. He said, I get asked all the time. Well, Brian, you have all these millionaires in your church. How do I get a millionaire to come to my church? That kind of made me sad. And Brian's response was brilliant. Here's what he said. I even wrote it down. And I, I keep a lot of the notes from his talk in my phone, as a matter of fact. And so this is where I pulled the quote from. He said, 
don't wait for millionaires. Build them from within. Don't look for immediate answers. Build long-term solutions because it's more about helping people in their vision, not them helping you fulfill yours. And I was like, bam, nailed it, right? I mean, how cool is that where that's the right mentality of proper ministry leaders, yeah? Which is like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't care what your gift is. You need to be at max with your gift, whether that has to do with money or that has to do with singing or that has to do with art or that has to do with math or that has to do with cake making. It doesn't matter. Our job is to say, Lord, how do we empower and cause you to thrive? And then the whole kingdom rises. That's a much better way to look at it. So some of us, we do need to recognize you may not be maximizing your gift for the kingdom of God in the area of generating wealth. That's a discipleship issue, right? And some of us need to be empowered and encouraged. Some of us need to be in this message just to realize it's okay to have fun and have a toy and not feel guilty about it. So let's keep moving forward. Would you turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Remember, Paul had already slammed these false teachers about their use of money, and then he had already corrected the church. Now he wanted to balance it out. So he says this. As for the rich in this present age... And he meant Christians in the church. Charge them not to be haughty or proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Okay, so one of the areas we need to become more mature in is to recognize that wealth does not mean more valuable of a person. Okay. Now you look and you go, well, that's silly. Of course not. Uh, hold on. Our society is actually saying that. That if somebody is wealthy, they're actually more valuable as a person. Or like, for example, I, I always find it so odd that we ask celebrities who are wealthy about world issues. <laughs> right? Why in the world are we asking Dennis Rodman about North Korea? Are we all tracking on this? He's a dude that's super good at putting an orange ball through a hoop and stopping other people from putting their orange ball in a hoop. What does he know about foreign policy? It's just insane to me. But no matter what, we say, well, if you have a lot of money, you must, and then we fill in that blank. You must be amazing. You must have all this other gifts. Let me reset for a moment. Because some of us will go, no, 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 you don't get it. Like, man, these, you know, these people work hard, and then that's why we have respect for them. No, no, no. I have respect for work ethic. Can we have respect for work ethic? Can we have respect for brilliance but not have respect for wealth? Here's why. When I am driving to work, I am driving in my car and I pass people that do physical labor as their job. For example, construction workers, landscapers, people that are working on power lines. Whenever I pass them, I look at my soft and supple newborn hands 
and realize I'm going to go sit in a chair and type on a typewriter. Like, what in the world? Okay, can we please redefine what hard work is? Yeah, I use my brain real hard. I get it. But when we start talking about, man, I just, I'm a hard worker and I'm work. Okay, what is hard work? What are you talking about? Because I know the majority of people around me that do hard work do not have the wealth to show for it. Hard work doesn't mean wealth. Certain design, blessing, creativity, ability by God, that actually equates into wealth. It does not mean you're just a harder worker than everybody else. Can we all agree that, that there have been brilliant inventors that got no credit for their invention, but the bigger company got credit for their invention, the big company is making billions of dollars, and the inventor is still broke? They were the brilliant ones. It did not equate to wealth. In the same way, I think that there are popular bands these days that are not the best musicians. They're not even the best music. You haven't even heard some of the best bands ever because they are not published anywhere. They're still in their garage, living in their mom's basement. Once again, we automatically assume, well, because I'm wealthy is because I worked hard. A lot of people have worked hard. You happen to be blessed. There's a difference. Okay, in saying all of that, he's saying, listen, if you are wealthy, what I need you to do is don't be proud. It doesn't make you a better person. Actually, it comes with a responsibility. Do you have a gift? Yeah, you do. Praise God, that's awesome. Let's just use it right, yeah? He said, and wealth can't be your security. Now, this message I don't even need to get into because it's super easy to preach this message post-2008. Right. I mean, I mean, if we want to go back further than that, there was the dot com boom and bust. Some of y'all remember that where everybody was spending money like it was going out of style and then <laughs> everyone's life blew up. Well, for most of us, it's 2008. We look back and we go, dang, everything got wiped out. How did that work out? OK, because the stock market giveth and the stock market taketh away. Y'all following? All right. Your security cannot be in your wealth. You will not be safe in retirement because of your investments. You will be safe in your retirement because of Jesus. Yeah? Amen. Because you may well have your money buy you a lot of stuff in retirement, and there may be no peace there. So once again, if we're going to talk about what safe in retirement means, it doesn't mean you get all your wealth. It means that you have peace of heart and peace of mind. That actually only comes from Jesus. So he's the one that's going to bring that in retirement, whether you have money or don't have money. But money's not going to be your security. Can we all agree on that? All right. Okay. So this is what's super neat. It says, but set your hope on God who richly, and that's a play on words. We're talking about the rich who richly provides us with everything. Remember, we don't own anything. We're merely managers of stuff. How do we know that? Because how much can he take with you? None of it. You don't own it. Okay, you're a manager. You have to leave it here because it's not yours. Okay, so who provides us richly with everything. But here's one phrase that some of us forget. For what? To enjoy. As a dad of kids, I would be so sad if I bought my daughters a present or a toy when they were younger 
And all they did was take the cute Barbie that I gave them, put her in a little praying position in the corner and go, don't bother her. It is not time to play. It is time to pray. Okay. I'd be like, honey, I bought you a Barbie to play with it. That's the point. I wanted you to go out and go, yeah, look, I now have a new Corvette. Woo. We're sitting in our car and we're driving around. Oh, look, there's Ken. No, I like the other one. He's cuter. You know, that kind of stuff. The idea of playing was the point of the toy. And so sometimes God gives us stuff and we either go, well, I feel guilty about that. I feel creepy about that. I don't really want to enjoy that. You know, I can't believe I have wealth. There's people dying everywhere around the world and we're totally sour or we're like, that's not the Barbie I wanted. I wanted the other Barbie, right? We just kind of get in these weird mindsets and the, either one steals away the joy that God intended in the first place. There are some of us that should be able to drive home and go, my children are safe in a home. And we should just go, that makes me feel awesome. Right. And there's sometimes that you are allowed to go on vacation. And the point of the vacation is to enjoy it. And you know what I'm saying? That some of us just walk around with needless guilt when, in fact, God just wanted you to smile. It's okay for Jesus to take us to Disneyland sometimes. You don't have to feel guilty about all the children that didn't go to Disneyland. You're allowed to smile and go on a ride. It's okay. Let's pick it up in verse 18. What are they supposed to do, those of us that are wealthy? They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. To be rich, they are to do good. It's calling, it's a ministry. It's a responsibility. Being rich in good works means making your money work for the kingdom, investing in people, in ministry, and in change change for the better let me give you an example let's say for example you are wealthy and you have the ability to do investments here's what i would recommend to you look and say not just simply what can i invest in that would give me the best return physically but what can i invest in that will bring me the greatest return eternally for example, let's, let's take the Jesus factor out of it for a moment. If you are a business investor, how amazing would it be for you to go to a minority group, look for and say, show me your portfolio, show me your business plan. And what I want to do is I'm going to look through it. And if it is solid and good, I want to believe in you. I want to invest in you and I want your company to excel. What you just did was possibly have financial return, but you definitely just built into another human being and into a whole nother culture. That's incredible. You all following me? It's the idea of how are we strategically investing our money for greater things, for greater change, right? We are investing in people. It could be something as simple as buying your neighbor something that they really need or bringing groceries. That's okay. That's all eternal in my opinion. He said they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous. This is where Bridgeway comes into play. I believe that Bridgeway is in essence what Paul meant. So he was trying to challenge this church and say, guys, I need you to be generous if you're wealthy. In my opinion, that is our strong suit. This church is crazy generous. 
Now, we've talked about a couple things. I'm going to bring you up to date on a couple more. So, for example, our church, if you remember, dropped over $100,000 on the Santa Rosa fire situation. That's over the top. That's crazier than anything else I even heard about, right? Why? Is it because we can all afford it? Maybe, but it was because all our hearts prompted us to. That's why. And it did significant, significant impact. If you walk into our office right now, and you can't because it's like Fort Knox. You can't get in there. If you walk into our office place where, uh, where we all do our work, you walk in, it looks like Santa threw up everywhere. There are toys lining all the walls. They're all over the floor. There is toys and, and presents and wrap stuff all over our office. It's really kind of extreme. Why? Because, have you guys noticed that the prison jail ministry that we do out there that had the little Bridgeway Angels on it, and it had kids who had a parent that was incarcerated? Beautiful, beautiful ministry. Incredibly impactful. That tree had 173 children's names on it. You know what Bridgeway did? Grabbed them all and funded the entire thing. How awesome is that? It represented 63 families, and today, 22 groups of us are going out and hand-delivering those gifts to those homes to make sure those little kids know that somebody smiled and said, my Jesus said, Merry Christmas. Y'all following the power of that? Okay, but it's, it's not done yet. Y'all know the global empowerment market out there? That when you walked in, there's all these different things that look like they're for sale and everything, and they are. That is something that throughout the world, different ministries have their folks who are struggling in poverty. They make items. And when you purchase those items, it goes back and not only gives them a living, but it gives them honor. It gives them value in their minds that what they're doing matters around the world. Whenever you purchase those items, you are changing lives around the globe. You know what our church did? Before this weekend, you had already dropped $10,000 in the global empowerment market. Isn't that incredible? Okay, once again, we mentioned this whole, hey, end of the year giving, it would really be neat if we could fix the HVAC. Somebody wrote a check for five grand that day and said, you're right, it is stinking hot in here. And they just dropped the check, right? Right? I don't know if that was from Jesus or that was just, we turned up the heat to try to you know, encourage that. I don't, I don't know what it was, but uh, somebody else just wrote a check for 554 bucks and said, when we are trying to bring families in here, I want them to be loved on and cared for. Here's my point. Bridgeway is this church that Paul was longing for. Your generosity is crazy. And I just want to encourage you. But here's the thing. He said, I need you to be able to share because money can really separate people. Can it not? Now, sometimes it's just bad hearts, right? You have some people that are like, oh, well, I'm rich, so I don't want to be near the peasants. You know, there's, there's people that are like that. Uh, hopefully not here, but, but there are people that are like that. And sometimes it's bad hearts. Mostly it's just practical. And here's what I mean. Your economic status creates your lifestyle. Their economic status creates their lifestyle, and sometimes those two don't match. Let me give you an example. Let's say you are being very sweet, and you're following the prompting of the Lord, that you saw another couple 
here in church and you said, I would like to meet them and I feel like the Lord is drawing me to them. And you say a phrase like this. Hey, I know we just met you. We've been sitting around you a bunch of times. Hey, real quick, do you guys want to meet for dinner on Wednesday night? There's this incredibly cool place. It's called Lucille's Barbecue, and, and it's kind of fun, and they make ribs, and they smoke stuff, and it's just kind of a cool place. And they look at you and say, oh, you know what? That does sound fun. I think we're busy. Here's what you didn't realize. They don't have the money to go to dinner with you. And you were just trying to be sweet. They can't reciprocate. They can't say yes because their little ones have a certain amount of money that they need every day just to have lunch. And they can't blow the $75 a couple to go to Lucille's if you eat with me. They can't blow that type of money on a dinner, but you can. So while you're trying to bond, they can't bond with you. Now, here's the beauty about what we can do about it. In church, I believe that the way Jesus designed it was that the wealthier couple says, hey, we noticed that we've been sitting by you a lot. Is there any way we can take you guys out to dinner on Wednesday night? Do you see the big difference? Now, here's what's interesting. That other couple is still going to be hesitant to say yes because they're scared to death that there are incidentals, right? The, the, the fine print. For example, somebody will go, man, we got the bill. Why don't you guys just grab the tip? And they're like, because we don't even have the tip. So we need to remember our bubble is not their bubble. Okay, so whatever you are doing, what you say is try to put them at ease by saying, man, we'd love to take you guys to dinner. It's totally on us. Don't worry about it. When you say that, there's a little bit of the fear that goes away. And now they can focus on talking to you about you. Now, here's the other thing. What we can't have is associated guilt with that. Because, well, let's say you can't afford the bill. What are you bringing to the table? I'll bet you anything you're bringing all your gifts too. What are your gifts? You're the laughter. You're the you know, one that's hanging out. You're asking questions. You're getting to know them. You're bringing stuff to the table just because you didn't get the bill doesn't make you less than. We as a family need to start looking at each other for connection and realize the beautiful gold in everybody that has nothing to do with wealth. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay, praise the Lord. All right, he said, when we do this stuff, verse 19, we are storing up treasures for ourselves as a good foundation for the future so that the wealthy may take hold of that which is truly life. Wow, laying up a good foundation for the future. What is truly life? Jesus stuff. Man, treasures in heaven are basically this. When we pass away and we see Jesus face to face and he has this beaming smile and he goes, man, you did good. That was so awesome. I gave you that gift. I gave you that ability. And man, you just maximized it. It was so crazy. I mean, all the angels were like, dang, right? That's so good. That's so good. And the way that you're always loving on other people and the way that, you know what? Bring it in. Bring it in. Right. You know, I don't know if Jesus says bring it in, but it's. <laughs> he said, let me just real quick get to a personal point to you, Timothy, as I close this letter out. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Now, in context, he means the gospel. Don't let anybody mess with the gospel. Don't let anybody mess with true ministry. But can't we apply it to other stuff too? What do I mean? 
please don't let the world steal your joy. Please don't let the world steal your peace. Please don't let the world take you out of your lane. You have your Jesus. You're okay. Please don't let anyone hijack your walk with the Lord. We don't need distraction. We don't need any of that crazy, uh, unnecessary negativity. We don't need the darkness. We don't need the despair. So, buddy, just lock it down. This is my heart, and it has Jesus, and we're okay. Please don't let the world pull you into materialism. Please don't let the world draw you into whatever. Just you and Jesus. We're all right. Yeah? And then he closes and he said, buddy, one more word on this because I know it's hard for you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, eh, some have swerved from the faith. And man, remember, stay in your lane. We don't need to get caught up in all this other stuff. Pure gospel, right? Jesus loves me. This I know. Well, the Bible tells me so. Okay. Grace be with you, my friend. And that's how the letter closes. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? Now, once again, any time that we close a service and the prayer team is up here, whether it's one or many, they're here to pray about anything. You got a physical need, you got an emotional need, you got a relational need, a spiritual need. That's what they're here for. But at the end of the service, what I would like to do is call out that the Holy Spirit may be tapping on some issues. If anybody has issues with money, I need you to leave with that cleansed off of you and out of you. Let's say I started this message and I said we were going to talk about money and you got this weird feeling. Okay, you don't need to be carrying that. That is not for you. Let's say that I start talking and you're like, and you start, you know, getting all golem. You're like, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, right? You know, and... You better not tell me I have to give it away, right? That kind of thing. That's not for you. You're a child of God. You don't have anything to fear. You're okay. We're all right. But if you have any of that or, oh, I think the church is all about this, stop. The right church is about Jesus. Okay? Now, do we need to disciple through this stuff and talk? Yeah. But I don't want you carrying any of that hurt or baggage or problems or concerns. So when you come up to pray, leave it at the altar. Walk out with a refreshed mind and say, Lord, next time anybody talks about anything, I'm free in Jesus. We're all right. Some of us need that encouragement, right? Let me just pray over all of us. Holy Spirit, you are beautiful in how you unravel our dysfunction. You dig down in there and you find the beginning of the ball of twine. And you know where it goes, where it leads and where it ends. I pray that in this environment, whether we're watching online or we're listening. Or whether or not we're here live. You have a lot of knitting together you want to do, especially in the areas of money. There's some of us, God, we are simply not using our gift well. You gave us crazy abilities, and we're just not thinking strategically. We're sorry for that. But, Lord, would you give us a new vision, a new dream? There are others of us, Lord, that feel like we're less because we don't have the money. That's completely unacceptable in your eyes. 
God, would you affirm us in our identity in you that we don't need money to make us valuable? And God, there's some of us that just need to be encouraged and say, honey, your giving is over the top. You don't have any problems there. You have nothing to worry about, nothing but a well done, my good and faithful servant. Whatever it is, Holy Spirit, would you take us to a new level? Would you anoint our altar? Would you anoint this prayer team to pray any garbage out of our lives? I pray that there would be healing here and strengthening here. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful weekend.